Oh, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Father, that you are righteous, that you are sovereign over all things, God. I do just, uh, first of all, I want to lift up Gilda to you, God, as she prepares for her surgery tomorrow, God. I pray in the name of Jesus, Father, that it would be successful, that she would be healed, that recovery would be quick, Father. God, I just pray that you would touch each and every one of our bodies, Father, that you would heal us, Father. God, I lift up my dad. I pray that you would heal him, Lord, in the name of Jesus from COVID, that he would not continue to suffer, Father, as he is, that he would start to see some improvements, Lord. And Father, I lift up our country, God. We are finding ourselves in a place where um, fear wants to come back in, Lord. Fear of uh, COVID all over again, fear of even this new new thing, Lord, and just just fear of the unknown. And God, I just pray against the spirit of fear, Lord. I pray, God, that you would protect us, God. I pray that your people would stand for righteousness in all things, Lord. And God, I just pray um, just against the spirit of murder in our city, Lord. Father, we have seen an uprise in murders, uh, shootings, violence, God, like it hasn't been in a long time. It's every single morning. There's reports of something new, someone else, Father, multiple shootings, God. And I just pray that whatever has been unleashed in our city, we bind it in the name of Jesus, Lord. Yes, Lord. Father, that we believe that you rule and reign here. And we submit this city to you. We lay this city at your feet, Lord. I just pray for protection. I pray that the evil that wants to come into those, Father, to do harm to others, God, would go in the name of Jesus, Lord, that the yes, enemy Lord. has no place here, Father. I pray for our Thank first you, responders, Lord, who have to go out into the streets night and night again, God, and, and answer these calls, Father. And um, I just pray that you would protect them in the mm. name of Jesus, yes. Lord. God, I lift up our time this morning, Father. I pray that it would be pleasing unto you. I pray that you would strengthen your servant, um, Father, in the name of Jesus, as the message comes forth. I thank you, Father, that your gospel would never be watered down, Father, that there would not be a false gospel preaching a false Jesus, Lord. And God, I just pray for churches all over this, this country this morning, Lord. I pray, Father, if the gospel that is being preached is not a true gospel, that you would silence them in the name of Jesus, that you would shut their doors, Lord. I pray, God, that your remnant, Father, would rise up again, Lord, in Jesus' name.
darkness and into your marvelous light, Lord. We thank you that our hope that is found in you, Christ Jesus, our Lord, will never disappoint us, Father. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that yet you've given us another day. Your mercies are new every morning, Father. And Lord, it's your desire that none shall perish, but that all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus So, Father, I pray for our time this morning, God, that we would be attentive to the leading of your Holy Spirit, Father. I pray, O God, that, Lord, you, Father, we know are faithful to complete that which you have begun in us, Lord. And, Father, you begin this in us, Lord, as you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus, God that we might be saved, transformed, born again, filled with your Holy Spirit, whom you've given us to be our comforter, our teacher, and our guide. Oh God, I pray that we would never take for granted. Father, all that you've done for us, your word says that you've given us everything we need to live a godly life. And Lord, I pray, God, that we are pursuing you Pray, God, that, Lord, you would continue to give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, Lord. That we would be a holy people, a people set apart, a people who are called your own. And that we call you our God. And so, Father, we thank you. May our eyes and ears be open today. And may our time together be pleasing unto you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Community, two definitions. A group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. The second one, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 10 is where we're starting this morning, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. <clears throat> but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And I do want to move on 
to verse 11 and 12. So dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Community. As I keep encouraging us, Christ is the center of the Christian community. Not the church, not our weird watered-down gospel and our weird, weak Jesus. No, Jesus, the risen Savior, God's one and only Son, the Messiah, Jesus himself is the center. Everything is built off of Jesus. He is the foundation. He is the head of the body. Apart from Christ, we have nothing. We just have a form of religion. We just show up. We just go through the deeds and the works. And yet, it's nothing. Everything falls apart. But when Jesus is at the center, truth is established. And truth brings forth freedom. The Christian community is a freed community. We're not enslaved to the, to the world system. We're not enslaved to the enemy any longer. We're not enslaved even to our own desires and our own flesh. No, we are a freed people to live as God has purposed us to live. Amen. Don't forget, God is our creator. He formed us. He purposed us. He's prepared us for this generation and for the days to come. He knows us intimately. And yet, we are not to remain, if we are in the Christian community, at war against Him. Because we're no longer in rebellion to Him. We are submitted to Him. He is our Lord and Jesus' words over this past week as I've been praying for the Christian community throughout the earth and that there would be an awakening among us. It's Jesus' words when he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And that's where a lot of people find themselves today. They call themselves Christians. They, they will tell others that they go to church, that they are a Christian, and yet they possess no obedience. There, there's no really genuine affection and love for God. They're not even pursuing God. They may go to church. They may read their Bibles. They may throw up a prayer here and there. But the reality, the, 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 the depth of who they are... They're not Christians. They're lost. And how sad. Because Jesus didn't come again, and I keep trying to give us this understanding, and, and I pray that it would really impact our lives as it has impacted mine. Jesus didn't come to, 
to just create an institution on this earth for people to hustle in and then hustle right back out. He didn't endure all that he did and fulfill all that was purposed and planned just for people to have a form of religion or to make them feel good about themselves when they're going through difficult times. Oh, he's so much greater, you all. He's God. He's a, he, he created. He has called us out of darkness and to his marvelous light. He has, he has purposed us. And, and we're reminded all through Scripture, first and foremost, who he is and then who we are. And then so if we look at these Scriptures to start out with, we are told that we are a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Are you showing others the goodness of God? They should be able to see that within you. Not your bad attitudes, not your filthy mouth, not your fruitless deeds of darkness being displayed, not your self-centeredness, not anything about you. But the goodness of God. The goodness of God. If fruit isn't being produced in your life, you're not a Christian. And not fruit that just sprouts up when you're around Christians. No, lasting fruit. It's, it's fruit that doesn't dry up and wither. It's lasting fruit. See, when you know who He is and who you are and the community that you're a part of, or you're going to live it out, and you're going to live it out loud. I mean, the other communities in the earth, they know who they are, and what they identify with defines them. Everything about it, no matter what community it is. And so as far as the Christian community, Christ defines us. Is Christ defining you each and every single day? Every hour, every moment, every second. Because he ought to be. He's God. He's the one whom you have declared is Lord over your life. And it's not a burden. We must remember this. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Following Christ isn't a burden. If following Christ, and I keep saying this, is a burden, then you're just religious. You don't have a relationship with the Creator. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priest. You are a holy nation. God's very own possession. So as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For He called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Mm -hmm. Once you had no identity, you bounced from community to community to community to community, just trying to find some place that you fit in. (laughs) Now, you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And that alone right there should make you stop and ponder 
and realize all that he's done for you. So before you open up your mouth to say what you ought not to be saying, before you give another thought to what you ought not to be thinking, before you take a step where you ought not to be going, before you put your hand to something you ought not to be touching, you better remember once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Your life now in Christ is no longer your own because you are declaring, when you're saying you're a Christian, that you are dead to yourself, to your old self, and you are made live, alive in Christ. It's Christ living in and through you. You are a reflection of Christ and all that He's done, the goodness of God. So dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, lest you forget you ought not to be clinging tightly to the temporal things of this world and trying to find your identity in social media and this and that. Your identity is in Christ. So I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires. And why do we want to keep away from them? Not because God is trying to hold out. Not that God doesn't want you to enjoy life. No, because these things wage war against your very souls. Be careful of what's constantly entertaining entertaining you. Be careful of the conversations that you're having. Be careful of what you're taking in through your eye gates, through your ear gates, because everything you take in is going to infect. It's an infection that will infect your heart because it's waging war against the depths of your being, your soul. The world systems, everything in this world, you have to remember, is at war with the Creator. You have to remember the enemy. He is at war with the throne room of God. And you have to remember your very own nature, apart from Christ, apart from being born again, you're at war with God, no matter how good you think you are. Do we get this? We are at war with God in and of our old nature. And so the very things that lure you to occupy your time, they're at war with your Creator. Be careful how much time you're spending with them. And that's why I've always challenged you. Each of you have been here long enough. I've always challenged you. Keep a journal of how much time you're doing things. It's not that you can't enjoy the fruit of your labor, but you better be careful how much time you're spending being lured by the systems of this world because they're getting more and more and more and more polluted. By the hour, by the second, by the day. They're promoting an agenda and we're just laughing right along with it. We're just enjoying it. We're just saying, oh yeah, ha 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 ha. Oh, isn't that cute? Aren't they fun? Yada, yada, yada. But you realize that which is behind it. It's at war 
against your very soul. And it's about time Christians wake up and realize what have we been giving ourselves over to. You just not, can't be holy for the time that you're sitting in church or around your Christian friends. No, it's who you're becoming. It's who you are. So be careful to live properly among the unbelieving, your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. Community, you all. And these are the standards. So when we come together, we're coming together for Christ. We're coming together to to edify and to encourage each other. The Holy Spirit's working in and through us. And we've been given the church to do life together, to come together, to live transparent, to live open, not to try to get ahead of each other, but just to live among each other as Christ is working in us through the Holy Spirit to accomplish His plan and His purpose in this hour. And as I've said over and over and over, it's getting darker. We're to be growing brighter. We're to be growing. We're to be able to stand in times of adversity. We're to be able to stand and pray We should be growing. And again, as we studied a few weeks or a month or so ago, we ought to move on past the elementary foundations in Christ. Laying the groundworks again for repentance. I mean, just starting at the basics again. That's not where we ought to be. If you're brand new to the faith, of course. But if you've been around... You ought to be growing. You ought to be teaching. You ought to be sharing. There ought to be fruit in your life. If not, something is wrong. And it's not just so the preacher can point it out. Like the Holy Spirit should be convicting you. You should feel the conviction that you're making a mockery of the blood of Christ. And do you realize you're not answering to a preacher? You're not answering to another Christian. Like you're going to have to give an account to Jesus. And that's the reality. You're going to have to stand before Him. And what excuse are you going to give Him for allowing the worldly desires to enslave you and to entrap you? What excuses are you going to give Him for for everything that you've given yourself over to when you ought to be giving yourself over to Christ, living for Christ? Dying to yourself, serving others, putting others before yourself, thinking of them before you think of yourself. To have a right mind and to have a right attitude. Like everything in this generation and the generations to come as it's leading up to his return. And that's what we're living for. Until we are called home with them, we are preparing for his return. That's how we're to be living as the Christian community. And we're going to have to stand and give an an account to Him. And there's no excuse. Oh, there is no excuse. Oh, we may try to find the best excuse. But listen, there's no excuse. Jesus, you understand the power that is just in that name alone. 
Do you understand that you have access and full authority from the kingdom of God, from his throne? Like we are called to be his ambassadors. We're to go forth empowered by the Holy Spirit. Recognizing and understanding that we're not waging war against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities in the air and in the darkness. Against worldly desires. Against our own flesh. You see, they're out to destroy you. But Christ came to liberate you. Remember what we heard last week. John 10.10, it's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life and abundance. So how much time are you cultivating that? How much time are you spending abiding in Christ? Because apart from Him, you could do nothing. How much time is, are, you, are you spending in your, on your prayer life, on fasting, on your discipline, on, on, on reading the Bible, on, in fellowship with Christ, the Holy Spirit, with each other? Because you ought to hunger for that. There ought to be a greater sense of hunger for that. And then you, get, then you give it away. Then, then you share it with others. Then you go about doing your father's business. Wherever your feet treads, take that ground. Stop cowering down and bowing down to the enemy. Stop cowering down and bowing down to the world systems. Stop cowering down and bowing down to the desires of your flesh. Because you better stand up and you better remind all three of them. That greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And I will sing of the goodness of my God. Because yes. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Yes. And there is a way in which you ought to walk about with your head up, with your shoulders back, living for Christ. Mm-hmm. Not yoked, enslaved in bondage and making excuses for it. No, Christ is the center of our community. And in this community, there's freedom. No other community is free. They're enslaved. They're lost. They're blind. But we have the truth. And there's a way we're all to be living. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. Most important, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. 
then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. I love verse 7. Though I didn't start there, look at that. The end of the world is coming soon. This was written then. And it will soon in their generation and is soon in our generation. It will soon and it will be soon until Christ returns. And so he says, with this understanding, he says, then the end of the world is, I'm sorry, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God Himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. So these scriptures that I'm sharing with you are scriptures that to encourage you what really the Christian community is. Again, it's just not a religious institution. It's just not church. Church is at the center of the Christian community. Christ is the center. And so here again we see this letter to the church. As it was then, so it is now. Being encouraged. Like Jesus is returning. Like the end of the world is coming. Jesus is returning. And so we're now as new creatures. See, if you're truly a Christian, and if you're not, you're not going to understand this. But if you're truly a Christian, you understand, wait a minute. I'm not living, as we just read. I'm not living out against these worldly desires that are waging war against my soul. No, I've been freed. You see, don't forget God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus. Apart from Christ, you, I can't say it enough, are in rebellion to the throne of God. And again, it doesn't matter how good you are, how what you do and what you say, you can do all the right things in the world. But if you're not saved, you're in rebellion towards God, your creator. And here we see, be earnest and disciplined in your prayer. Again, your Christian life isn't a burden. You don't look at it as if, again, God is taking something away from you. No, no, you freely lay it down because you realize it has of no value. Everything I've tried to find my identity in is of no worth. I've been deceived apart from Christ. I've been deceived into thinking. And again, that's why we go from community to community to community. We're trying to find ourselves wandering 
through this world, blinded by the devil, enslaved to our own flesh, and the world's systems are luring us. But the freedom that is found in Christ, like when your eyes have been opened, when truth becomes your reality, it'll set you free. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute. This is how I'm to be living. Show deep love for each other. Love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. You see, God has given each of you a gift. So use that gift to the glory of God. Do you know most Christians, that they don't even know what their gift is? And that's so crazy. How could you call yourself a Christian and not know how you're gifted? Each of us have a part to play. That's why we belong. That's why there's that sense of community. We are belong. We belong together to accomplish what God has called us to do. It's just not a one-man show. It's just not a one-person, this person, or that group of people show. No, it's everyone included. And that's why over the years, I've challenged you all, as I challenged myself, be a healthy member of the body of Christ because you're needed. Like, you're needed. And not to engage in being healthy, not to engage in living out in community with believers. You're doing a disservice to the body of Christ, but you're ultimately mocking God. You're treating him as if he's just another common thing. And we got to see him beyond just being something common. And we need to see him as God because that's what humbles us. And do we realize all that we're doing now is for the good of others? Even though they would perceive it as being something bad. Oh, you're judging me. Oh, you think you're better than me. Blah, blah, blah. And all that pushback. <laughs> and in reality, it's all about love. It's all about love. I mean, you share, and you share, and you share. And ultimately, if they don't want to hear, then shake the dust off your feet and move on. Move on. That's why I've always tell you, don't fight with people. There's no need to fight with people over the gospel. You can't force someone into the kingdom. And even if you did force someone, they're not in the kingdom until they bow to Christ. You could drag them to church. You could do this. You could do that. You could tell them to do this, 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 and all these other different 12, 13, 15 type of steps. But if there's not a genuine conversion, if the person isn't transformed by the power of God, they're not saved. See, there's a false gospel, and we've been warned over and over and over and over again. That's why I spent so much Time with us last Sunday, giving you scriptures to, to really meditate upon, to understand that, that we, you are, this is a war going on. You, and I keep saying it, you can't make this up. And even the lost are recognizing it. Like there's an awakening taking place. Oh, how I pray that they come to Christ. But even they are recognizing. Like, wait a minute, a lot of this stuff doesn't even make sense. I 
mean, I would never tell you to go listen to Bill Meyer. I think that's how you say his last name. He's a liberal commentator. He's a filthy man. But oh my goodness, I listened to nine minutes of him this morning. And I'm like, God, this is absolutely amazing. Like he was laying out truth to his audience, which is a very liberal, liberal anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-anything that's good and right. But he was exposing and going, none of this is making sense. And he was mocking the very people that have actually built him up. (laughs) Because they recognize, like, something is terribly wrong here. Like, what is happening That's what I keep telling you. You can go out there and have spiritual conversations with people because people are at a high alert. They recognize like something is going on in this world and on this earth. And if you're calling yourself a Christian, you have the truth. And again, you don't have to fight with them. You just got to live your life. You just got to go about it and walk, like I said earlier, walk upright with your head up high. Knowing that God is good and God is great. (laughs) You're going to be hated. Not not everyone's going to love you because they don't love Jesus. They're at war with his throne. (laughs) And if they hated him, they're going to hate you. And the reality of, of Christ. Just think, and, I, and I've said this to you before, just think upon these things. I, can't, I, I, I don't have the ability to transform your heart. Only the Holy Spirit has that. All I can do is sow a seed and water the seed. And I can pray that the, the Holy Spirit would harvest it in His perfect timing. But I'm telling you, you've you got to wake up to the realities of truth. And you got to be able to say, you know, think upon things and, and really just ask and seek and knock because he's pleased to reveal himself to you. Like when you really ponder and you give thought and you see all that's going on and you realize, wait a minute, I don't want to be at war with my creator. Why am I, why am I demanding my rights? For this, 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 and that. Like, you got to ask yourself, what are you demanding your rights to do? Well, if I come to Christ, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to stop this. I don't. But if, in reality, if you think about those things, those are temporal things that are really out to destroy you. And that's why I keep telling you, you're demanding your right to be punished and tormented for eternity in hell. He said, well, I don't see it that way. Well, you can say all you want that you don't see it that way. But that's the reality. Did you ever get thought, why am I fighting against this? I had two years ago. Like you just get, why, 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 why am I demanding this? And then you start realizing, oh, wait a minute. Like, God, if I'm trusting in you, if I'm learning of you, and God, if I'm just trusting in you, then I'm just going to keep taking steps forward. And I'm just going to keep doing this, and, and I'm going to just keep trusting in you, and, you know, and I'm just going to keep laying things down, and you're just going to keep progressing forward. 
so that you can look at others and share with them the good news of life. Like Jesus, y'all, just think about that. Jesus, his teachings, the very essence of who he is, the very knowledge that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That goes against the lie that the enemy has been spreading throughout the years that God is not a good God. How could a loving God allow this? How many of you have said that for yourself or have you heard others say that? Do you see how twisted it is, how everything is blamed on God? And the reality, it has nothing to do with God, has everything to do with you. Has everything to do with the enemy, has everything to do with the world systems that are set up to to try to overthrow God. But they already know that they can't. You see, they already know that their time has been dealt. And all they're waiting for is for his return to do the final blow. To send them to the place that was prepared for them. Even the demons knew when Jesus showed up on the scene. They they shrieked. They were like, what is it, time? (laughs) They know. Remember I gave you the scripture last week where he made an open spectacle of them. All of it's defeated. And you said, well, then why is it still allowed to go? Because time... Time is set and the mercy of God is displayed because he's holding back his wrath so that many can be saved. It's the mercy of God. But yet you go and you tell others the very essence of Christ and his teachings. Governments hate it. They're killing people. They find Bibles in their homes. They line them up. They get the crowds, as we heard on Friday night in North Korea. They jam them into stadiums and they shoot them all. And the people are elated over it. No different than what's been going on for generations. Remember the Romans used to light Christians' bodies on fire to light the path at night for them to walk and stroll to to one place, to another, to another, to another. It didn't even affect them because they were already infected. They used to gather them in stadiums and usher all the Christians in, children, older people, mother, fathers. Usher them in. The crowds are roaring. This is historical facts. The lions were let loose to devour the Christians. See, it doesn't make sense. Like, really, if you, if, even if the world gave thought, and I've always said, you would want Christians in your society because they're hard workers. They should be. They're not lazy. They're not backbiting. Do you know the same punishment, the same wrath, for, for a, a homosexual or a drunkard, it would be the same for a backbiter or a gossiper, one with anger problems. Just look what the Word of God says. And yet what we like to do, what the enemy does, is he comes into the church. Because remember, even before Christ showed up and after Christ rose up, and that's why we're warned, the majority of the churches are being led by children of Satan. 
Remember Jesus, look at the men, the Pharisees and the Sadducees of his day. They were men of God. They studied the scriptures. They knew everything about it. But what they built was an institution that kept people down and away from God. And so when Jesus, the Messiah, showed up, they didn't even know God. And Jesus himself looked at the leaders of the church and said, your father is the devil. And you go and you work hard and you travel far. These are Jesus's words. To win converts and you make them twice as much the son of hell as you are. And as he would say it to them, he would say it to today. And he would continue to say it until he returns. Because the devil doesn't mind you going to church. He'll teach you. But he'll lull you to sleep. And he'll give you a Christ that's not Christ at all. And we better wake up. You better wake up. Because it's getting worse. But that's but you don't have to be afraid. You just got to realize, God, you purposed me for today. Like you purposed me to carry the good news into this world. I don't hate the world. You don't have to hate the world. You're to love the world as Jesus did. You're to go forth and say, God, as the scripture we just read, allow the goodness of God to be displayed in my life so I can share it with others. Because God, I want their life impacted for truth. You see, the reality is, is that they would want Christians because they mind their own business. They live quiet lives. But you go out there and you talk to people about their Christian neighbors. I mean, just think if we went out and we interviewed people that you all live with or interact with, and you call yourself Christians, what is going to be their perception of your God? See, this is the reality that we're dealing with in today's generation, and as it's been dealt with in the past, as it will continue. Again, you're not a perfect person. But you ought to be a maturing person. <laughs> and you ought to be utilizing your gifts. And you ought to be living in community with other believers to accomplish what Christ has called us to do. Again, we're going to go. We're going to endure. We're going to suffer. But that should not deter us. That should not deter us. No, that should encourage us keep pressing on, to keep pressing in. You see, when the reality is, is why would you persecute? What's the, what's the big deal? What is the government so concerned over churches and Christians living out their lives, preaching the gospel? Because it's beyond just the natural of what we see. It's a spiritual war, you all. Every system that is set up upon this earth Behind it is the devil, and it's his strategies. And it's playing on the very nature that you were born into, that's in rebellion to God. That's why you must be born again. Not just stamp yourself, oh, I'm a Christian, poof, I said a little prayer, poof, I go to church here and there. Oh yeah, I'll say a little prayer. Oh yeah, God bless me, God bless me, God bless me. In reality, it may not even be God blessing you. <laughs> I mean, listen. The reality is, are you seeing your life transformed? 
Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 through 27. Let's start at 24. While their more honorable parts do not require, I'm sorry, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care, so God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given in those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are, and I'm going to go on to 28. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of te- healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak an unknown language. And then we're going to move on to verse through 31. Are all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And then go and read chapter 13 this week. It talks about love. Everything else will pass away. (laughs) But God's love you all. Again, the body of Christ is made up of many different parts. Remember, Christ is the head, we're the body. Again, we all have to be healthy members to function. That's why it always gets me when I hear church people complain about the pastor or the leaders in the church. Like it's supposed to be them that just is, is building the church. No, it's everyone. It's everyone. And it takes everyone to uphold the standards of the church. Uphold the standards of community. Do you know why there's so many weak-willed men in the pulpits today? It's because the body's doing nothing about it. They're just as weak. All they want is just, tell me what we want to hear. And most pastors who try to have a backbone, they're pushed back up against. Don't you dare preach that. Don't you dare hold us accountable. And all of a sudden, they're being attacked. And I go, good Lord. People threatening to take their money from the church. If you speak on that, I mean, it's the most ridiculous craziness that's happening. But it takes everyone in the community to uphold the standards, to love each other enough to uphold each other in truth. We don't want to slip back into our formal ways of living. That's not what we're called to do. We're to be progressing. We're to be moving forward. Because we are, again, at war. 
Not with flesh and blood. We're not out there using the, the weapons of, of the natural realm. No, we have greater weapons. Remember, he gives us the weapons of our warfare to demolish strongholds. One of the greatest weapon is love. One of the greatest weapons I have ever seen used is those men that were lined up on the beach. <laughs> and ISIS was those Christian men. And ISIS were standing behind them, going to behead them. And the greatest weapon wasn't the sword that the ISIS men held. The greatest weapon was the, the genuine look on the expression of the face of those men as they knew what was about to happen because of their love for Christ. Peace. There is not one flinching. I wouldn't suggest you go watch the video. But I've seen the video. I, I enlarged it just to see their face, right? Am I wrong? Their, their face. There is such a peace about them. I'm like, God, that's the greatest weapon. They didn't torment those men. Those men had no, they, they knew the scripture. They understood that, listen, you may kill my body, but you can't touch my soul. I know who I belong to. I know who I am. Do you understand the level of confidence that you have as a Christian? That if you do, then why are you walking around so downcast? Why is everything blowing up against you? You're collapsing. What do you mean you can't go into your home and raise up the atmosphere? I mean, we have to start living as believers. Either we believe in Him or we don't. There is a way in which we're called to live. And there's a dying world out there that needs you to love on them. Just think about this man I met yesterday. He comes jumping out of his truck. We both pulled up in the gas at Sam's. He comes jumping out of his truck. And at first, I did kind of I started kind of startled because I'm like, oh, like what? But then I then it then I said, no, just relax. Unease yourself. And he's like right here in my face, man, 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 man. You got to pay for my gas. Can you pay for my gas? And I'm just looking at him. I didn't, I, I didn't have to flinch. I, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm calm. I'm looking at him. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You want me to pay for your gas? He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can just pay for my gas. And he's talking quick. And I'm like, okay, so what, you know, he goes, no, I'm a member here. Um, I can show you my card. And he was like, but, but I, I don't know where my, my other card is. And he was going on and on and on and on and on. And I was like, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, I, how much do you need? He well, you need a big old truck. <laughs> and I said, so how much do you need? He's like, ah, uh, $40. Can you do 40 And then he, all of a sudden he pulls out the swat of money. Or maybe more, like, but, but maybe I just need 40 And I look down, he's got just a wad of money. And he says, it's my, my, my little girl. She just graduated from high school. And, you know, I got this money out, but I don't have my debit card. And I mean, he was just going on and on. And I was like, oh, yeah, no. Yeah, I can give you, if you want 40, I can put 40 in. So he gives me 40. He goes, here, here, here's 40. And so now I'm walking back to him and he's just, we're just engaging, you know, just talking. He's like, man, man, most people, they wouldn't know how to handle this situation, you know, but man, you really handle it. He goes, you know, I'll show you my Sam's card. I was like, listen, no, you don't have to show me anything. It's, if I could do it, I'll help you. 
Um, I said, but I probably can only do 40. And he was like, okay, no, no, just 40 is good. And, you know, so, you know, he, he just, we're just interacting. And he's like, I'll show you the receipt when I'm done. Like, I won't go over 40. And I'm like, it's okay. Like, it's totally fine. Like, I'm fine. We're fine. And so, you know, I'm going back to my gas. is like, and then he starts counting down. 31, 32, 33. He's like, okay. And then he gets a 39, 70 some or whatever. He goes, oh, I, you know, I, like, I shortchanged you or something like that. Like, I, I didn't even hit 40. And so he just came back and he just grabbed me and he said, man, I just want to thank you. You know, and he goes, because I didn't know what was going to happen today. I just knew I didn't have, I just have money. And, you know, and I said, oh, no, it's seriously, it's okay. So, you know, he gets in his car and drove away. And I thought to myself, like, just in that moment, just that exchange between two different races, with all the brouhaha and all the craziness that's carrying on in this world today, there was a connection there between two men who probably have nothing in common, but yet we both were willing to hear each other and to just be there for each other. And she said, why am I sharing that? Because how are you dealing with things out there? Like when people approach you or when things just don't go your way or whatever is happening, are you just taking that step back to breathe and say, okay, God, give me discernment, give me wisdom, you know, because anything can come up at any moment, you know. Are you, are you, are you allowing yourself to, to truly be available and not just always on guard because everyone's out to get you? You know, like sometimes you just got to let it down, you all. Again, have wisdom and discernment in, in how to proceed and move in things. But we ought not to be living lives where we're so guarded that we're keeping everyone at a distance. Family, friends, strangers. <laughs> but being, start being just a light. You know, just start being a light. Just start, just start, just live. You know, just just be. Trust God. You know, again, the world out there is at war with the throne of God. We don't have to be at war with them. You see, God's not at war with his creation. God loves his creation. God so loved us that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The last scripture of this time together is Ecclesiastes. Go to Ecclesiastes. Chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. You know, I was thinking, God, if I would have... If I would have remained on guard, or if I would have remained... Or if I would have came back in my car and closed the door, you know, and drove away... You know, the reality of that man would be like, look at that white punk, you know? Look at that white guy just driving off, you know? Let me tell you, these are things I was thinking. But, you know, again, as I said, I just, I just I shifted my whole posture to be at ease with him. And then he's the one, I mean, he came up and just gave me, hold on to my hand, like, man, thank you so much, thank you so much. And as I, his hand was in mine, I just was praying. Like, God, let this be a seed for him. God, let him see that there's not a difference between him and I. You know, this guy just has a lot going on today. 
And God, I thank you that I was the one that he ran up on. And it didn't, wasn't anyone else that may have triggered anything else that could have caused his daughter to miss out on her daddy being there to celebrate her graduating. So I was like, man, God. Again, there's so much division out there. There's so much chaos going out there. But each of you have an opportunity to be part of the solution. To love them enough to see them as Jesus would see them. To serve them. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 to 12. Two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Fellowship, y'all. Community. The importance of living in Christian community. When the, when the enemy has come in and tried to strip and to try to tear up the church. I mean, it's sad even in our own nation that churches are being closed down. It's sad that you look at churches with, with all this property and with these huge buildings for people to gather. And there's nothing wrong with that. But they're empty. Maybe just a few handful. And then you see the ones that are jam-packed. But if you listen to the teaching, it's not even biblical. Well, they may be great motivational speakers. But listen, a motivation speech is only going to carry you so far. Biblical speech, the gospel being preached, would carry you through to eternity. (laughs) So we got to get back to how Christ designed it. And so I want to go, before we move on to walking in our scriptures... Is I want to talk about it. It's funny because I had already planned to talk about it, but then in our Enemies Within, this documentary that we watched on Friday night, they brought it up again. And the reason why I had started talking, thinking about it during the week is I read this article that I'm going to have Carrie post it so you can read it for yourself if you choose to. But anyways, it's talking about how the church is lacking, and not only the church, but pastors, but not only pastors, but Christians are lacking a biblical worldview. They don't even know what it is. But oh, it's vital that if you're calling yourself a Christian, that you are living your life with a biblical worldview. If you're not living out a biblical worldview, then I need to make you aware you're not a Christian. No matter how many prayers you pray, no matter how many church attendance you go, church you go to church, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're mama, if you're daddy. It doesn't matter the pedigree that you may have. You know, it doesn't matter if you're not living out what Jesus has established, the foundation of the Christian faith. You're not a Christian. There's no conversion. Remember, the, the Nicodemus came to Jesus. How must I then enter the kingdom of God? You must be born again. 
you must be born again. It's a new nature that comes forth. It's a nature that's no longer in rebellion towards him. That old nature, you have crucified it to his cross. And there's a new life that comes forth. I've shared with you over and over again, your question should be every day as it is mine, as it's been since the beginning when I came to Christ, is how now then shall I live? You know how you would live apart from Christ. I know how I would live apart from Christ, but now that I am living in Christ, who am I now? And the only way I'm going to find out who I am now is to know by knowing who he is. And that's why Jesus even says, you must abide with me. Remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So let's talk a little bit today about a biblical worldview. What's a worldview, first of all? A worldview is the framework from which we view reality and make sense of life and the world. It's, an, it's any ideology. It's any ideology. Oh my goodness. Ideology. ideology philosophy, theology, movement, or religion that provides an overarching approach to understanding God, the world, and man's relations to God and the world. For example, a two-year-old believes he's the center of his world. A secular humanist believes that the material world is all that exists. And a Buddhist believes he can be liberated from suffering by self-purification. Someone with a biblical worldview believes his primary reason for existence is to love and serve God. Whether conscious or subconscious, every person has some type of worldview. A personal worldview is a combination of all you believe to be true. And what you believe becomes the driving force behind every emotion, every decision, and action. Therefore, it affects your response to every area of life, from philosophy to science, theology to anthropology, to economics, law, politics, art, and social order. Everything. For example, let's suppose you have bought the ideal that beauty is the eye of the beholder, which is a secular relative truth, as opposed to beauty as defined by God's purity and creativity, which is absolute, absolute truth. Then any art piece, no matter how vulgar or abstract, would be considered art, a creation of beauty. So then what's a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview is based on the infallible word of God, When you believe the Bible is entirely true, then you allow it to be the foundation of everything you say and do. Do you have a biblical worldview? Answer the following questions based on claims found in the Bible and which George Barnum used in his survey. First question, do absolute moral truths exist? Yes or no? Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Yes or no? Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Yes or no? Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule it today? Yes or no? Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Yes or no? Is Satan real? 
Yes or no? Does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? Yes or no? Is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? Yes or no? Did you answer yes to these? Only 9% of born-again believers did. But what's more important than your yes to these questions is whether your life shows it. Granted, we are all sinners and fall short, but most of our gut reaction will reflect what we deep down, honest to goodness, believe to be real and true. Remember, the Bible tells us in Proverbs, as you think, so you go. (laughs) So how does a biblical worldview get diluted? Here's the big problem. Non-biblical worldview ideals don't just sit in a book somewhere waiting for people to examine them. No, no, they bombard us constantly from television, film, music, newspapers, magazines, books, and academia. Because we live in a selfish, fallen world, these ideals seductively appeal to the desires of our flesh, and we often end up incorporating them into our personal worldview. Sadly, we often do this without even knowing it. For example, most Christians would agree with 1 Thessalonians 4.3 and other scriptures that command us to avoid sexual immorality. But how often do Christians fall into lust or premarital or extramarital sexual sin? Is it simply because they are weak when tempted? Or did it begin much earlier with the seductive lies from our sexualized society? Why does a biblical worldview matter? This is the last part. If we don't really believe the truth of God and live it, then our witness will be confusing and misleading. (laughs) Most of us go through life not recognizing that our own personal worldviews have been deeply affected by the world. Through the media and other influences, the secularized American view of history, law, politics, science, God, and man affects our thinking more than we realize. When then we then are taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. Colossians 2 verse 8. However, by diligently learning, applying and trusting God's truth in every area of our lives, whether it's watching a movie, communicating with our spouses, raising our children, or working at the office, we can begin to develop a deep, comprehensive faith that will stand against the unrelenting tide of our culture's non-biblical ideals. If we capture and embrace more of God's worldview and trust it with unwavering faith, then we begin to make the right decisions and form the appropriate responses to questions on abortion, same-sex marriage, cloning, stem cell research, and even media choices. Because in the end, it's our decisions and actions that we reveal what we really believe. Romans 12.2 Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this was from an article from 2006 from Focus on the Family. And, and the survey that I read this week, it's a link, and Carrie's going to send, share the link if you choose to read it or not. 
But this new, showdy, this new study shows shocking lack of biblical worldview among American pastors. And not just senior pastors, but youth pastors. I mean, it is, I was sitting there and I just began to weep like, oh God. Oh God, like these are the people that are teaching in pulpits. These are the people that are influencing this upcoming generation. And they don't even believe the basic truths. They don't even have a biblical worldview. And so we have a whole godless generation being raised up, sitting in church, going to seminary, attending Christian schools. I mean, listen, if that's not enough to wake us up to go, wait a minute, we're being lulled asleep. We're being lulled asleep. And then you realize, I can't even make this. And that's what I'm saying. You can't even make this stuff up. Listen, it's no longer, what's the term now? A conspiracy theory. It's, it's, it's not because then when you start really researching and you really begin to see, not just from Christians, but secular people who are researching and where this funding is coming from. Do you know I sat in awe on Friday night? I couldn't even talk after watching what we watched, going, dear God. Like when we realize the, 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 what has been happening in our own nation. And years and years and years and years ago, what has been plotted and planned by the communists, by China, Like China is running our churches. Like it's ridiculous. And then you know why? It's because they know to destroy America, destroy the family, destroy the church. Half of the stuff that's happening, I mean prominent men and women, Christian figures, are wolves. And they're being backed by the regime in China. It's an all-out war to see our nation collapse. And listen, it's going to collapse as we get closer to Jesus' return, you all. There's nothing that's going to stop it. But oh, we can pray for God's mercy. (laughs) Oh, we can pray for God to extend His mercy upon us. But listen, we better wake up. And again, we're not at war with the crazy stuff that's going on. No, this is deeper. It's a, it's a spiritual war. And that's why I said last week, coming from the occult, I find it insulting as a Christian now that the occult has more awareness, has more understanding of the spiritual realm than believers. And that's so sad. Because this is what it is. This is what we're engaged with. And you can say, oh, that's it. No, go study it yourself. And again, again, it's just not quote unquote Christians. Like these are things that have been tracked and understood over the years. Over the years. And that's why I've said to you over the past few years, the way we've done church, it can't be done that way anymore. We had an open window, but that window is narrowing. 
It's sad that you can go out on the streets today in America and share the gospel and say the name Jesus. And there will be people who will look at you and say, who is that? I've never heard that name. That's truth. Laura, one of our great friends, she's a street evangelist. She just posted. She just shared the, her, the gospel. And the young guy was like, who? who? I've never heard the name Jesus. Like this is in America. And this is what we're up against. That's why I, I just can't stand up here and, 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 you know, perform for you all. No, I'm genuinely concerned for you all. Because each and every single day we are being bombarded with so much craziness that you better know what you believe. And if you're calling yourself a Christian, you better have a biblical worldview and you better not detour from it. Because once you detour from it, you're overtaken. Do you understand the Bible says that in the last days, there's going to be people who will fall away from the faith and begin to follow doctrines of demons. And I care more about your eternity than your temporalness. I really, I genuinely do. I love each and every single one of you, anyone who ever walked in here. But I'm not going just to cower down so to make you feel better in your flesh. But you need to hear truth. And I would want to hear truth. You know, and that's what I say. The truth starts with yourself. I got to preach the gospel to myself when by the time my eyes open to my eyes go closed. I have to remain focused throughout my day. No matter what's coming against me or what's on my plate. No matter what could be thrown here and there. Like, just stay focused. Like, this world is not our home. There is an eternity awaiting for us, you all. But, oh, Jesus. Man. So we're not clinging tightly to the things of this earth, you all. No, cling tightly to Him because He's coming for us. He's coming for us. And for eternity, we will be at rest. We will be at peace. We will be with our Creator. And while until then, there's work to be done. This isn't a lazy religion. This isn't just, oh, come some kumbaya, like, oh, poof, everyone's going into heaven. No, this is an all-out war for truth. And you better be doing your part by being, first and foremost, a good Christian, a good citizen, taking every opportunity you have to sow truth, be engaging in politics, be engaging in, in just life, Talk to people, especially when the month of June is coming up and, and it's Pride Month. We don't hate the LGBTQ community. They've got enough issues in their own. They're devouring each other. And see, that's the most craziest thing. And you can see that's biblical. Like in biblical, if you read the Bible, you would see the enemies of God. They gather together for one thing, to destroy the people of God. But ultimately what's going to happen is they end up turning on each other and devouring each other. And so we don't hate them. Listen, they've got a big issue on their hands. <laughs> Gay men are being pushed out of the LGBTQ community as transgender people are taking over it. And there's an infighting that is taking place. There is so much chaos brewing in, in that in that. In that realm, to where effeminate men are now being told, you know, you're not gay, you're just a woman. 
and they're being so confused that they're going through all these treatments to, to make themselves a woman and they don't want to be women. But now they're being told, no, you're a woman. And there's so much chaos. We don't have to say it. They're, they're, they're destroying themselves. But listen, we better be available to, to be there for them. To, to, to be able to minister to them. To share truth to them. Not to beat them down. Just, just to love on them and to share truth. Not suppress truth to make them feel better. No, they need to know you're at war with your Creator. Just as if we go out and we talk to someone who has a gossiping problem. Someone who has a drinking problem. Someone who has a porn addiction. Whatever the sin is. <laughs> we ought to love those communities enough to be the light among them. We're not pointing our fingers at them. We're not you know, tearing them down. No, the reality is if it wasn't for God, we would be right where they're at. But do you love your neighbor? Do you love God? Do you see your, your, your biblical worldview should be transforming you to be about our Father's business? And then the Heidelberg Catechism. Again, this tool that I'm sharing with you all to, to encourage you so that you're able to defend the faith. Listen, as a Christian, you ought not to be offended by the Word of God. No, you should be able to defend it. And so here we are, Lord's Day 14. Question 35, what does it mean that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? The answer, that the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to himself through the working of the Holy Spirit from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary a truly human nature so that he might also become David's true descendant like his brothers and sisters, in every way except for sin. And there's a whole bunch of scriptures there for you to study and when Carrie send these notes out so that you can go and get grounded. Listen, y'all, that's why it's just not showing up on a Sunday. Okay, here's some, then you go out. That's not Christianity. It was never meant to be that way. You just hearing it, it's not going to change you. It's not going to transform you. No, you got to learn not to just be a hearer of the word, but to be a doer. See, when you, when you consider the cost, okay, I'm going to lay everything down to follow you. Because Jesus says, consider the cost. Just don't make it a flippant decision. No, consider the cost because it's going to cost you everything. Do you know Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven? He understood. Like, listen, all of us are blinded by Satan. He, he understood whose control we're under. And he understood that if we stayed there in that condition, that rebellious nature we would spend an eternity apart from him. And the sad thing is, when I think about this too, do you know there's people in hell and being tormented for eternity having a knowledge of God? Think of that. Think of the people that Jesus says, they're going to stand before me and they're going to say, but I did this. But I did that. I even did these things in your name. And he's going to say, I don't know you. Not because he's a bad God. No, it's just the reality. I don't know you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You worker of sin. Depart from me. Like for eternity. 
Like for eternity, they're going to be tormented. You understand, Jesus talked more about hell. You think I'm wrong? Go read the Gospels. He had more to say and to warn people. Listen, this is why I've come. I am fulfilling everything from the beginning that was mentioned. To set you free. From sin and death. In me, there's life. I mean, this is Jesus, you all. And everything you know about him as you accept him and receive and are born again of this new nature, that now you're beginning to understand the difference between good and evil. And you realize, God, I can't live this out, but thank God you've given me the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. See, we're without excuse, you all. So I just want to encourage you as we're about to take communion, to, to be encouraged to, to grow in faith, to get into Scripture, to join us when, when we have the opportunity to get together. If you can't physically come here on a Wednesday night, then join the Zoom call to where you can be a part of asking questions. It's free account. You can listen. You can participate. You can ask questions. You can say, well, you know, I've looked at this. What does this mean? You know, there's just the way of growing together. Come on Friday nights when you're able to so that you can, you're getting this fellowship. Listen, we did, I just don't open up the house. Get I just don't open it just because, oh, it's just open. No, well, there's a lot of times in our flesh we would rather not. But we know that God has called us. We're a full-functioning church. And so the doors are open to connect. There's doors and opportunities to open, not just to connect with me. Just don't wait for Rob. Connect with each other. Learn to be community. And to live this out and to be encouraged, to be strengthened, because the days are getting evil. And so you need to be a part of of a community where Christ is exalted, the Word is preached, and then we're living it out together, upholding each other, encouraging, edifying and building each other up as the Holy Spirit has grafted us together to accomplish in our community what He's purposed for us to do. You're not by accident. So don't worry if you'll come and serve the communion. I'm going to let the song play over us. And I would just encourage you to take the time to to allow the Holy Spirit to, to bring any conviction that may need to be brought to your life for you to repent. And just get right before God.
So you made a way across the great divide Left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside And there at the cross you paid the debt I owe Broke my chains, freed my soul for the first time Oh
First Kings chapter 9 is where we're heading. We get through our scriptures, walking through them. Again, the whole purpose is why we're doing the way we're doing it. And my prayer that we all will get to know our God. <laughs> and that we can see that from the beginning to the end, He has a purpose and He has a plan. That He will have a people that He will call His own and in return they will call Him their God. You will see it from Genesis all the way through Revelation, the plan of God. He will have a people that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God. It's important that we understand this. And so we've started, we start in the Old Testament, we do a little in the New, then we go to Psalm, and then we go to Proverbs. But it's important that we understand what God is doing. That's why it's important to understand the Old Testament, because it foreshadows Christ. And here we are at King Solomon. We've left off before with Solomon praying and, 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 and um, dedicating the temple. Now God is going to respond to Solomon's prayer. And if we remember what I keep telling you about King Solomon, he's the wisest king on the earth. And there's been no one like him since 
And there probably will never be anyone like him. And yet, though the Bible says that Solomon loved God, remember, let's not be impressed by that, because the Bible also says, we'll read next week, (laughs) that he loved his wives. And the same meaning of that loved (laughs) is what the Bible describes as the same love, which is not a covenant loyalty, it's, a, it's just a love. I can love you today, I, I may not love you tomorrow. <laughs> it's wishy-washy. There's no depth to it. There's no roots to it. And yet God is using King Solomon for God's purpose. There it was purpose for King Solomon to take the throne, to, to build this temple. Remember, God told David, God made covenant with David, that there's going to be one from your lineage, from your line, that's going to always sit upon the throne. And that was Jesus. It's always meant, the throne was always meant for Jesus. But here we now, we have King Solomon. And the Lord is going to respond to King Solomon. Chapter 9, So Solomon finished building the temple of the Lord, as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time. And he as he done before in Gibeon. The Lord said to him, listen carefully. <laughs> I have heard your prayer and your petition. I have set this temple apart to be holy. This place you have built where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. As for you, if you follow my I'm sorry, if you follow me with integrity. And godliness, as David your father did, obeying my commands, decrees, and regulations. Then I will establish the throne of your dynasty over Israel forever. For I made this promise to your father David. One of your descendants will always sit on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants abandon me and disobey the commands and decrees I have given you, and if you serve and worship other gods... Then I will uproot Israel from this land that I have given them. I will reject this temple I have made holy to honor my name. I will make Israel an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. And though this temple is impressive now, all who pass by it will be appalled and will shake their heads in amazement. They will ask, why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to this temple? And the answer will be, because his people. Remember, like I said earlier, the Lord always gets blamed for everything. But the reality is, not God, it's us. And the answer will be, because his people abandoned them. Or abandoned the Lord, their God, who brought their ancestors out of Egypt, and they worship other gods instead and bow down to them. That is why the Lord has brought all these disasters on them. Think about that, you all. Listen to what God is telling Solomon, King Solomon. Remain in me. Abide in me. Live for me. Honor me. This is your purpose. This is why I brought you and set you aside, the nation of Israel. Out of all the nations on the earth, God set them aside so that the Messiah would come forth. He kept letting them know. 
And then if you go back into the New Testament and you see the New Testament says, well, what's important to, to, to learn about the Old Testament is all of this is penned for us. And just as it was for them, so it is for us. That's a drop. You can choose this day who you're going to serve, as he does with each of us. Like he's pleased to reveal himself to us, to set us apart for his purpose and his plan for our lives. And we can choose to walk in that. And we can choose to love him as our God and live for him and have that biblical worldview. Or we can choose to say, no, you're not God, I am. I'm going to live the way I want to do. In fact, I'll even take little bits of your truth and just add it to my life. But listen, I'm not going to be all about you. We could choose that. But in the end, do you realize, just as that temple was torn down, so you will be. These people thought that God would still honor them. The reality is you're to be honoring God. God's not to honor us. We're to be honoring God. And remember, he tells them, listen, listen, don't look out at the other nations. I'm your God. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will give you pleasures beyond anything that you can even think of. I'm God. I will do it for you. You're my people. He wants to bless us. He wants to take care of us. He wants to see us through to the end. But what did they do? They looked out and they were like, huh. The way the other nations worshipped their God lured the Israelites out. Their gods allowed them to do pagan things. To, to get drunk and, and to have sex and orgies and, and to pleasure themselves in all types of ways. They were lured out by the way the other nations worshipped their gods. They abandoned God. God is the one that heard their cries in Egypt and delivered them and told them, you are my people. I've got this land for you that's already established. It's more bountiful than even you can even possibly imagine, and it's yours. But you're my people. You're my people, and I'm your God. So don't look elsewhere. As it is with him, so it is with us. Why are we looking elsewhere? Elsewhere, When Christ has all that we need, he's to be our all in all. Verse 10, it took Solomon 20 years to build the Lord's temple and his own royal palace. At the end of that time, he gave 20 towns to the land of Galilee, in the land of Galilee, to King Hiram of Tyre. Hiram had previously provided all the cedar and cypress timber and gold that Solomon had requested. Remember, King Hiram was not a believer. He's a king of another nation. But he understood the God's, Solomon's God, the Lord whom Solomon proclaimed, like, okay, I'm, I'm in works with you to help you build this temple, this palace for yourself and this temple to your Lord. But when Hiram came 
from Tyre to see the town Solomon had given him, he was not at all pleased with them. What kind of towns are these, my brother, he asked. So Hiram called that area Kabul, which means worthless, as it is still known today. So we see yet another glimpse in the cracking of the foundation of Solomon. Solomon had so much, and he literally threw petals at this king. At first, he was all about being in relationship with this king, and this king helping him, and Solomon help him, and they had, and they had a great relationship. But now all of a sudden, you're seeing Solomon's character, as we've already seen before. From the beginning, he, he married a foreign woman. He wasn't supposed to. He's building up, he's gathering all these horses from Egypt, and a king in Israel was not to have all those horses, especially from Egypt. And now all of a sudden we see him, his character, his integrity is dwindling because now he's throwing little petals at this king, which he should have been honoring this king because this was his friend, this was his business associate. He should have probably gave him the best of the land. He actually shouldn't have gave him any land, but if he was going to give him anything, he should have gave them the best instead of them giving them worthless pieces of land that he can't do anything on. So we're beginning to see more and more of his character coming forth. Yet, though, again, he was a very wise man. This is the account we go on. And, yeah, this is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon constricted to build the Lord's temple, the royal palace, the supporting terraces, the walls of Jerusalem, and the cities of Hazar, Megiddo, and Gezer. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had attacked and captured Gezer, killing the Canaanite population and burning it down. He gave this city to his daughter as a wedding gift when she married Solomon. So Solomon rebuilt the city of Gezer. He also built up the towns of lower Beharon, Beleth, and Tamar in the wilderness with his land. He built towns as supply centers and constructed towns where his chariot and horses could be stationed. He built everything he desired in Jerusalem and Lebanon and throughout the entire region. He enslaved these other nations, these ites as we call them, there's many of them, these nations that actually Israel was supposed to do away with, but they didn't get rid of them. So again, the nation rebelled against God doing that. Now Solomon's using him as slave labor, and so we're seeing him build up his kingdom. We're going to jump to chapter 10 real quick. Queen of Sheba visits him. So when the queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, which brought honor to the name of the Lord, again, she's an unbeliever, she came to test and with hard questions, test him with hard questions. She arrived in Jerusalem with a large group of attendants and a great caravan of camels loaded with spices, large qualities, quantities of gold and precious jewels. When she met with Solomon, she talked with him about everything she had on her mind. Solomon had answered all of her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba realized how very wise Solomon was, and when she saw the palace he had built, she was overwhelmed. She was also amazed at the food on his tables, the organization of his officers, and their splendid clothing, the cupbearers, and the burnt offerings Solomon made at the temple of the Lord. She exclaimed to the king, Everything I heard, about my, everything I heard in my country about your achievements 
and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of it. Your wisdom and prosperity are far beyond what I was told. How happy your people, listen to this, must be. What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Praise the Lord your God, who delights in you and has placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, He has made you king so you can rule with justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king a gift of 9,000 pounds of gold, great quantities of spices and precious jewels. Never again were so many spices brought into the house in as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. In addition, Hiram's ships brought gold from Ophir, and they also brought rich cargoes of red saddlewood and precious jewels. The king used the saddlewood to make railings for the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and to construct lyres and harps for, music, for the musicians. Never before or since has there been such a supply of saddlewood. King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba whatever she asked for, besides all the customary gifts he had so generously given, that she and her attendants returned to their own land. And the rest of chapter 10 is just describing Solomon's wealth and splendor. It was like the nations I've never seen before. Remember, all these other godless nations, they were coming. All of a sudden, remember, when King Solomon ruled and reigned, there was peace. There was peace. And God allowed that peace so that the temple can be built. So that God's people were at rest. And God set a king on the throne filled with such wisdom that the other nations were so impressed, not with King Solomon, but with God. And yet, none of these other nations came to believe in God. They recognized him. They, they, they even mentioned, and here's the Queen of Sheba saying, you know, look at what your Lord has done. What your God has done through you and for your people. And so I'm telling you, there's people on this earth that can acknowledge God. They will have a knowledge of Him, but they will never bow to Him. You see, not everyone is going to heaven. But oh, we should be a testimony unto them in hopes that they would be saved. And again, here King Solomon is in his prime. And yet his fall is right around the corner. If he would have only kept his eyes on God. But he looked elsewhere to fulfill a need that he still had. And listen, you all, there's always going to be temptations coming your way. But remember what the Word of God tells us. He makes a way out of all of them. Temptation is not the sin. Sin is when you bite into it. And now that temptation becomes your identity. And we must be aware, and we must be able to stand guard, and we must be devoted to our King. Go to Acts chapter 8. Past weeks we read about Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Acts chapter 8 verse 14.
And if you remember, we, we got a picture of Saul who becomes Paul at the stoning of Stephen. The church now is being persecuted. They're going house to house, rounding up Christians. The, the disciples and the apostles are, are, dis, are, are now being dispersed. They're going throughout the lands. They're on the run, but while they're on the run, they're preaching the gospel. And we picked up about a week or so ago with Philip going to Samaria, and he's preaching the word of God. That sorcerer, Simon, was so moved that, that he gave his life to Christ. And then we see, we pick up today here in verse 14. There was a mighty move, a revival taking place in Samaria. Don't forget this area too. Do you remember? This is where Jesus met the woman at the well. This is the place where the Samaritan woman, who was living a loose life, Christ encountered. She had an encounter with Christ. Her life was forever changed. And not only her life, but the whole town was. But now time has passed since that encounter. They've grown. This city, this town has now become complacent in their faith. And now Philip shows up and he's preaching the gospel. There's a revival taking place, praise be to God. And we ought to be praying that for our nation and the nations for revival. Because the seed has been sown throughout the earth. And so now we see Philip here, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard what the people of Samaria I'm sorry, heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message. They sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon, remember he was that sorcerer, that came to Christ, was baptized. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and you are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the candidate, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship 
and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked him, or asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And the man replied, How can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azustus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. The gospel is going forth. Persecution is happening at a greater level in their time than they've ever seen before. The church is on the run, but the gospel is being preached. Lives are being delivered and saved. And Jesus, the good news, is being announced to you all. I mean, look what God is doing. And that's what I'm saying. We can't just get comfortable thinking this is what Jesus came to do to establish the institution just for people to sit in a few hours on a day and to go back out and live however they want the rest of the time. No, no, these people, the birth of the church, they knew the power of the Holy Spirit. When you have the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish things that you can't even possibly imagine. And so when you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go talk to someone, to pray for someone, to serve someone, to do, be obedient in it. If Philip wouldn't have been obedient, that eunuch wouldn't have been saved. And then just the power of God to, to pick up Philip and transfer him to another place. I mean, this is the God that we serve, and yet we just come in and we sit and go, and we're bored in church. How can we be bored in church when God, the all-powerful God, is captivating us, getting our attention and saying, here I am, this is my son Jesus, you have a purpose, I have a plan, I'm returning, come and do the work that I've called you to. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Like, there's so much more, you all. And God, I pray that you will begin to experience it. That I will begin to experience it. I was sharing with Norma, and I'm going to be quick because the next few scriptures are short. But I'm going to testify. I'm going to start sharing testimonies. Because when I sit back and I think, God, it's been 25 years since I was on the floor in that condo. Wondering, what on earth are you doing in my life? July 7th, this year, at 2.30, will be 25 years. But I considered the cost, and I said, okay, God, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know who I would become. 
And God's not finished with me, nor is He finished with you. But when I start thinking back over these 25 years, and I start putting together all that God has done, I stand amazed and go, God, only you. Like, this is so crazy. But God, this is so awesome. And it hasn't been easy. Oh, there's been many times I wanted to throw my hands up and be like, I don't want any of this. This is insane. There's been times where I've held up my fist at God and said, I didn't call, I didn't want this. Why did you do this to me? I mean, I've gone through my seasons of God, just please, just end my life. But then yet, when I look at other seasons that God has done and what He's done, it's just so crazy. It's so awesome, the testimonies. And so what I want to share with you is that I had a prayer group. We were walking around the stadium. There was a Georgia football game going on. And we would go out there and prayer walk. We would be praying and, and just asking God, God, what do you have of us today? And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And in a stadium of thousands, I don't know how many that stadium can hold. Do you know right off? That thousands upon thousands upon thousands that are packed in that stadium for a football game. The Holy Spirit told my heart, there's a young man in there that needs me. And so I looked at my, the prayer group and I said, listen, you all, we have to get in there. We have to get in there. There's a young man. In the natural mind, it doesn't make sense. There's thousands of people. But God spoke, the Holy Spirit spoke, and said, there's one man in there, there's a young man in there that needs me. I said, ladies, we got to start praying. And we begin to walk. We begin to walk and pray. All of a sudden, Joyce heard her name being called from this janitor that was empty and trash. And we turned around and that gate was open. There was only a, a few time left in the game. So we go over there and we were talking. He said, oh, you're all out here praying? Yeah, we're praying. I said, God, God, there's one in there. I believe that there's one person that the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And he goes, oh, y'all need to get in? I said, yes. And so open up the gate. <laughs> and I looked at this group of people and we were praying. I said, listen, just spread out and start praying. Because the Lord's going to lead us to that one. And we just started praying, praying. And all of a sudden, there was this young man up against the wall, just as drunk as can be. And God said to my spirit, that's him. Walk up to him and pray for him. And I looked at the rest of him and I said, there he is. So I go over to him and I was like, listen man, I don't know what's going on in your life, but God brought me here for you. And this is what God said. And I just began to share with him what the Holy Spirit was putting on my heart. And this guy collapsed in my arms and just began sobbing. The night before, he was going to kill himself. And he asked God, God, if you would just send someone to tell me that you hear the depths of my cries in my heart. Who can put that together? Who, and who can make that happen, you all? And we prayed for this young man and we saw this man get delivered we connected him back to his family and to his local church. And a while later, I heard from him, and he's doing, he was doing so good. He's actively pursuing ministry. He's loving God with all of his heart. But who can put something like that together? And that's why I shared that. It's nothing of me, but it's all of God. Only God. 
And are we being obedient when God is calling us to go to people? Even if it seems extreme. Like, God, there's thousands of people here, and there's just one? Like, how are we going to know? But God knew. God knew that depths of that man's cry of his heart the night before. And he asked specifically, God, would you send someone to me? (laughs) And the depths of just chaos going on in that stadium. God said, go. And I'll lead you. See, if we're just open, if we're just obedient, you all, to live out this life, to live out this life, it's amazing what God will do. And that's why we have to wake up as the church, you all. We have to wake up. It's a desperate hour. I mean, just look at what's happening to this generation and the, and the confusion and the delusion that is being spread across the earth. And we're sitting here, I, I, you know, if you're saying you're a Christian, there's so much work to be done collectively and then individually while we're out there. We just can't keep living how we want to live and doing how we want to do because that is not a being a Christian. Like there's so much more, you all, that God has for us. Go to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. God be the glory, man. In the book of Psalms, you can find such encouragement from the psalmist. Psalm 130. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I'm counting on the Lord as I've counted As I am counting on him, I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord, more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. You see, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. God offers his forgiveness. And again, we have such a wrong perception of who God is and and we stay away from God and all along God is going, "Don't back away from me. Come to me. I understand your condition and I have the forgiveness you need to be healed, to be whole. There's no need to hide. There's no need to hide as a Christian. There's no need to let the deepest and the darkness of, of sin's depravity to rule over you. And if you're not a Christian, come to Christ. Experience that free grace that He offers to transform your life. Just submit yourself to Him. The Bible says it's very clear. How do I become a Christian? By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That He is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead. That you live a repentive lifestyle that you recognize in and of myself, in and of this old nature, I'm at war against your throne. I don't want to be at war against you anymore. God, I'm laying my life down. God, I am sorry. Forgive me. 
I repent. And repentance is a turning away from. It's not a clinging to, oops, I'm sorry, oops, I'm sorry. No, it's reality that, no, God, I am letting go. And I'm going your way. Go to Proverbs, two nuggets of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 17. Verses 2 and 3. A wise servant will rule over the master's disgraceful son and will share the inheritance of the master's children. And finally, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. I pray that this song will be an encouragement for you, and then we'll close us in prayer.
Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your truth. Thank you for life, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you are the author and the finisher of our faith, God. And Father, I pray for all that have heard the message today, Lord Jesus, and all that would hear it at a later time on the podcast, that God, that those who are apart from Christ would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And I thank you for that, Father. That's the work that you begin in an individual's heart. And so, Father, I pray, God, that their hearts would have received the seed that has been sown today and that the, 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 the ground of their heart is fertile soil to receive it, Lord, that it would not be choked out, it would not be snatched out, but, Father, it would take root and salvation would come forth, that they would be born again of this new nature, born again of the Spirit, O oh God. So, Father, I thank you for that. I pray, God, for those, Lord, who have who are in Christ, and God, maybe they're feeling weary today. I pray, God, that they would be encouraged, God, that they would look up for their redemption is drawing near. I pray, God, that they would be refreshed today. God, that they would be reminded of your goodness and of your grace and of your love and of your mercy towards them. And that they would be diligent to be about our Father's business. That they, that, that they would find joy yet again. And so, Father, I thank you for that. And, Lord, I thank you for Gio. As, Father, we're coming to to celebrate his birthday, Father. I thank you for this man. And, Father, I pray, God, Lord Jesus, that you would encourage him this upcoming year, that your hand will be upon him, Father, this upcoming year, that there would be favor for him and his household, Lord. And I just thank you, God, that he's in our lives. And, God, that you united him and Shayla together, Lord. And I just pray, God, that... Father, they would continue to have a grace-filled marriage. And I just thank you, God, that you would protect them by your name, Lord. And Father, we come together to lift up Gilda, Lord, as she's going into surgery tomorrow morning. Father, we thank you, God, for this physician, for all those who will be there attending to her. But ultimately, God, we know you as the great physician and that she's in your care. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, Father, that this surgery will be a success God, that she would no longer have to endure the pain that she's been in, that her recovery would be quick, Father, and that, Father, in the midst of all of this, God, that her light would so shine, and that, God, you would give her opportunities to share with others of your grace and of your mercy and the goodness of her God. And so we love her, Lord. Father, we ask, God, that you would protect her mind as well, that she would not get anxious or overwhelmed, and that fear would not set in, but that faith, Lord, would arise, and that she would cling to your promises, and that she would cling to you, Jesus, and that, God, we thank you that she's in your hands. And so, Father, bless your people, Lord, I pray. We ask this food to to strengthen us and nourish our bodies, God. Father, and we pray for those who are in need. Father, as I think of Tania, as we're uh, collecting for her this month, and God, all that you've done in her life, and even in the midst of, of, of cancer, even in the midst of going through all these treatments and not being employed and just struggling financially, God, she still, Father, raises her hands and worships you. And so I just pray that each of us, God, would, would just seek you on how we, what we can give and to, to, to send this to her, God, and ultimately for you to get the glory in providing for her. And so, Father, all the different avenues of how people are contributing, 
to her needs, Lord. I just thank you for that. And I just thank you, God, that she would just be overwhelmed with your love. Father, I just thank you ultimately for her healing. Lord, we just thank you in advance for that. And so, God, again, Lord, I just ask, Father, if there's any God, Lord, who have never come to the acceptance of, of, of Jesus as their Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. And then, Father, they would take the steps to be baptized. As we read today, that unit, God, as soon as he heard, it explained to him, as soon as he recognized, Father, that you were the Messiah, Father, he accepted that. His, his life was forever changed. And as they came upon that body of water, God, he was like, hey, I want to get baptized. And Lord, he took that step of obedience. So, so Father, I pray that they would, that they would take that, the step of obedience to be baptized. And then, Father, that they would take the steps to be discipled, to get grounded and rooted. And they may live out a biblical worldview to your glory and to your honor. So bless your people, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A big Spanish meal was prepared in honor of Gio. So eat up. Hope you came hungry. Yes, ma'am.